We welcome Chris Condor from U.S. Foods, Fort Mill, South Carolina, DSR of the Month for February. Chris's territory is just north of Charlotte, North Carolina, in Davidson and Mooresville. Welcome, Chris. How long have you been at U.S. Foods? I had my 40th last year. It'll be 41 this August. Did you work for Bigger Brothers? I worked for Bigger's, yes. Howard Jr., Howard Sr. had already passed when I came through. And then we eventually did U.S. Food Service. And that's how U.S. Foods kind of come to, eventually we rebranded in 06, I believe it was, to U.S. Foods. Of course, we bought PYA, right. really made it strong in the southeast. So how did you get started in the business in the first place? Okay, well, it's a, kind of an interesting story. Uh, I turned 16, and I was uh, gracious. Uh, my parents were gracious enough to uh, pass down my mother's 79 Ford Granada to me. And that meant going to work and uh, paying for gas and insurance. So I called my brother and I said, hey, I need a job. And uh, that next week, I went to Biggers Brothers and interviewed with uh, Larry Black, the longtime uh, vice president of sales there. And he offered me the job. And, of course, I took it. And I started uh, two weeks after my 16th birthday. So back then... um, we kind of worked at night in the what we called the order department, which is, I guess, today's version of uh, customer service. But at night, uh, we would check the invoices as they came off from the computer room, uh, checking for mistakes, calling the sales reps, see if there was any issues, taking care of the out-of-stocks, and then we would pass them on to the warehouse, and they would complete the night and load the trucks, and off they go. So I did that for seven years through high school and college. Um, two years after that, Mr. Biggers came to me and asked me to help him start up our fresh seafood program, and I did that for two years as a buyer. We were the first broadline distributor probably anywhere close to us that was selling fresh seafood. Um, so that really put us on the map there. Um, after two years of being behind a desk, I realized I had too much energy and I had the great opportunity to fall into a uh, a territory where the gentleman was retiring, uh, just north of Charlotte, in the Davidson, Morrisville, Lake Norman area. Back then, I think that territory was riding about twenty five thousand a week. So, but that was a lot back then. And uh, yeah, yeah. So I've been in the, on the street for thirty years. So I've been with the company forty years. The only job I've ever had. The only company I've ever worked for. So. Uh, that's kind that's of a great story. Were. How did uh, well, on the fish program? What? Well, why you? Well, how, just because you were a good worker in, in there, and so you learned together, or did you know something about seafood? No, I didn't. No, uh, I didn't. Uh, he, he, you know, knew that I worked hard, and of course, I uh, came from a good bloodline. Like I said, my brother, and and he wanted to give me the opportunity after college to to uh, grow into another position in the company, and it was a good fit. Um, I learned a lot. We hired a gentleman by by the name of Bill Myers, and he came along from uh, Atlas Marketing, which was a marketing firm back in the days that did a lot of retail. Uh, they handled all the fresh seafood for all the food lions and Harris Teeters and things like that. So we kind of piggybacked on uh, his knowledge, and, and he, he really showed me the ropes. Uh, we were bringing in fish from Miami on containers and repackaging there in the warehouse and started offering shell oysters and gallon oysters and, of course, all the Gulf species like mahi and 
grouper and tuna. So it kind of kind of separated us from from the competition for sure. Uh, back in the day, I think the only distributor in town was uh, Inland Seafood. What do you rate ballpark? About nine and a half million. I don't know if you listened to Todd, the guy from uh, this month, the current one, but he said it's easier doing seventeen million today than it was doing five million dollars twenty years ago. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, with absolutely. all the technology and, and order entry that, and everything. Part of that's order entry, absolutely. Oh, but I've got two nephews in the industry as well um, that work for our Columbia division. Just to give you a breakdown, um, my brother, Jerry Condor, and I swear he'll probably cross paths because he knew everybody in the business at one time. He was the first sales rep uh, that went down that to that uh, area for Mr. Biggers. He opened up Myrtle Beach. He was the first rep and grew that business. But back to Jerry, you know, he, he was with us for 28 years, and he was originally or uh, had gotten up to uh, our general sales manager before he retired and, and actually uh, went on his own and bought Myrtle Beach Seafood and uh, ran it for about 10 years. And then he, then he officially retired after he sold that. But, um, yeah, it's a family affair. Why is it more fresh seafood sold here, Charlie? There's so few places that use fresh fish. Why is that? Or am I just going to the wrong you know, places? I, I, well, here recently, I, I think maybe a lot of it might be something to do with the minimums that people are carrying now and, and Especially these white tablecloth restaurants, they don't want to buy 10, 15 pounds of product to sit on it. They want 5 and 10. But there's been so many weather issues in the last few years where these day boats don't go out or, or whatever. Availability is playing a big role. But not only that, it's price. I mean, mahi was, was $20 a pound last year. You, you can't serve that and make money. Uh, no. I think a lot of operators are reaching out to and looking at every avenue possible. Uh, and I've, actually, I've got a couple of white tablecloths that serve uh, a frozen product here or there. Um, yeah. They can prepare it properly and present the dish accordingly. When Last time I was up in um, in Minnesota working with a sales rep up there, but they were from uh-huh. um, Norway or wherever, but it was single frozen, you know, on the boat, processed and frozen right on the boat, and it was fantastic. Sure. I'd rather have that than it would oh, fresh because I knew that it was frozen right on the boat. Uh, absolutely, and it's just—it's almost like you know the the bread man's pitch. Um, you know, there's some very high quality frozen breads out there that I would I would buy any day over over the bread truck um, because it is it was frozen at the the optimum time of, of freshness. The bread guy, you know, that that bread may have been. Uh, it's taking a ride on a truck for a couple of days and going from here to there. So. I mean, going all the way back to when we first started, even like, you know, Chef Pierre Pies. And you couldn't, I would rather, you know, somebody use one of those than say, oh, it's homemade. I made it myself. Well, that could be dangerous. <laughs> Make it yourself, sure. right? Could suck. That's Where right. the Sara Lee was, I mean, the frozen technology has just come so far, and especially with, I'll say, desserts. And now with bread in the last, you know, 20 years, I just I can't even believe how good some of the frozen breads are. It's unbelievable. Oh, oh absolutely. All the parbake products are astounding. And I think that goes back to the seafood aspect between the technology of the of the, the, the process of freezing along with the packaging. Uh, the packaging yes. has come a long ways with these cryobacks and, and, and different technologies, and you get a great shelf life on it. So, And uh, it doesn't... Uh, turn colors in the freezer. People always ask me, too, why I use 
frozen vegetables, right? So I took a tour of out in Oregon at Flavor Pack. Now I think Oregon Potato owns them now. But anyway, yeah. it was a farmer cooperative, right? And anyway, I, I took a tour and we were out in the fields and, you know, went all the way, followed the peas and some carrots and stuff all the way from when they harvested and rode on the truck back to the processing facility and loved seeing how stuff was done and went back sure. to the factory. And within three hours, it was washed, processed, and IQF'd in a bag. And I'm thinking of the, all the produce getting on trains and trucks and stuff coming from California or the Gallus or whatever. That, how long it takes to get here, I would rather have frozen vegetables than I would fresh. Absolutely. What was some, what was some of the, the things when you transitioned? Now, being on the inside of how you got started, was that was a great training ground. You know, by the time you got out on the street, you knew how the system worked. Probably it was a little easier. Was was opening new accounts or part knowledge? Or what were some of the harder things uh, when you first started on the street? I think starting out, uh, one thing that I kind of struggled with, it was just simply because I was so young. I probably struggled more with time management and how to manage uh, my day-to-day efforts uh, more so than anything. I was very fortunate to work with some of the greatest salespeople in this industry that, that we've ever seen growing up and talking to these folks some of the sales reps would come into the office in the afternoon and finish their day there. We were like sponges. We, we soaked it up. So occasionally, uh, when we were not in school during the summer, we actually worked relief for the local sales reps a lot of time. So we got a lot of training there during the summertime, out of school, uh, and running routes, just gaining the knowledge that way. As far as uh, the hard things was really for me was was the scheduling and just not being a better, better, uh, time manager. You know, the only thing that, that saved me, Chris, was cutoff time. I call it the finish line just because our family's in the racehorse business. So I always call it the finish line, right? Cutoff time. Sure. And I think that, cause I'm just about as unorganized as anybody could get with time management. And that forced me, you had to have your orders in. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, well, it, it was my time manager, if you will, was get up early and, and then because you got to have them in by 4.30. If we didn't, it would be sort of like just turning the horses out with no fences and wanting to run everywhere. That's sort of the way I felt all the time. Back then, it was it was harder because we were working off of a tailgate. And so you were literally keying in every item, every code, every price into that little tailgate machine. I'm sure you remember that. Yeah, and yeah. And, of course, transmitting it over the phone. Um, so that took time. Over time, as technology has progressed, especially since dot-com's evolution, has tremendously saved a lot of afternoon time. And today's world is, is all about dot-com, and customers want to be hands-on, especially the newer generation. They love the, the uh, Internet and their phones. So I've got customers that do their orders online that way. Yeah, what percentage of your customers place their own orders? Online. I'm Ballpark. running about 65%. I kind of like to babysit, per se. There's a couple of country clubs that, that are, there's a lot of moving parts there, so you, you kind of have a little more hands-on. But your independent restaurant chefs and kitchen managers generally, uh, they like doing it on their own. And ACH, too, right? On Instead of collecting money, what a different That was the best. The, the, the ACH has, has been wonderful because that's what we did back in when we started. We collected money and chased checks down every other day and, and keyed in orders all the time. So 
you take those two aspects out of it, you've got a lot of time to uh, to spend with your customer and, and help them with their needs and, and, and definitely spend more time with your specialist and, and your broker community and just trying to penetrate. 